dead or ready to pay your dues. Oh God, come back home. This crazy world is paralyzed and abusers. Need you now before we're too far gone. I hope one day they finally see the truth. God, we need you now. Hello, Patriots, Freedom Fighters, throughout Saskatchewan, across the country, and around the world. So, um, <laughs> I'm in Facebook jail, of course. <clears throat> so, I'm missing out on six different platforms there. But I'm on YouTube, I'm on Twitch, Rumble, Odyssey, DLive, and Liberty. So, if you're watching this, and you do have a Facebook account, share the link over on Facebook and uh, see if we can get some more people watching. But uh, we'll carry on. We'll do what we have to do. Uh, just looking at some of the comments. Hello, Karen. Hello, Chuck. Hello, Beta. Uh, 23 days left for me. Uh, I'm at 26, I think. Um, so yeah, so the topic of discussion tonight is the Ukraine. And it's very important that we discuss it because, of course, it is ultimately part of the globalist agenda. They're using the Ukraine war and its contrived consequences um, against us as part of the bigger globalist agenda. And interestingly enough, and commendably, Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, is the only party leader in this country, and most likely throughout the Western world, to denounce what's happening to denounce the Ukraine war and as, as an avoidable war, of course, we all know that it is. Um, we all know that by breaking the agreement that was made shortly after the fall of the wall, that NATO would not recruit nation states anywhere closer to Russia than East Germany. Of course, they've broken that agreement 14 times. The Ukraine uh, would be the 15th if the Ukraine was ever to join NATO, which I don't believe is going to happen. So Maxime Bernier denounced this in a press release and a speech that he did on his platform a couple of days ago. And I wanted to play that for you because it's important. It's important because he is the only political leader in this country, federally, provincially, um, that has gone ahead and done that. So I think it's important that, that folks hear this. 
And so I'm going to play it for you now. I'm also streaming on TikTok. I forgot. Uh, I'm on TikTok. Hello, TikTok. Good to see you. Um, we're live on TikTok as well, just through my phone, not through the computer. Anyways, uh, Maxine Bernier and his speech on the Ukraine. have been killed on board. I wish to speak to you today about the Ukraine war and what Canada's position regarding it should be. At the outset, let me express my deepest sympathy for the innocent Ukrainian and Russian men, women and children caught in the middle of this terrible conflict that could and should have been avoided. It is said that about 100,000 soldiers have been killed on both sides, a number that will unfortunately very likely continue to climb. As with wars of the past, the justification and motivation are countless, but the results are nevertheless tragic. What I would like to explain today is the larger geopolitical context in which this war is taking place. Even though one country, Russia, clearly invaded another country, Ukraine, the situation is more complex than Russia bad and Ukraine good, something the general public fails to understand due in large part to the bias and dishonest coverage from the corporate media. But whatever you think about uh, who the good and the bad guys are, I believe Canada should not have gotten involved in this war. Here, here. We should have remained neutral and work with our allies to help establish a peace process. That's what I have been seeing since the beginning of the conflict. On the contrary, as you all know, Justin Trudeau's government, with the support of the NDP and Pierre Polyev's conservatives, has been sending weapons and aid worth about $4 billion to the Zelensky regime. There are a few basic reasons why we should never have been involved. First, Ukraine is not a NATO member. We have no responsibility to defend it. There are dozens of conflicts taking place around the world at any given time. Ask yourself, why don't we ever hear about these conflicts from the corporate media? Why is the globalist political establishment so intent on escalating the conflict in Ukraine? We have no responsibility to intervene in foreign conflicts involving countries that are not part of an alliance with us and where we have no fundamental interest. Our first responsibility is to defend Canada, ensure our security and protect Canadian interests. That's it. That's all. We cannot solve the whole world's problems. We need to solve our problems first and use our limited resources to take care of our own citizens first. Clean our proverbial room before we save the world. And frankly, what difference 
does it make to us if the corrupt Ukrainian government or the corrupt Russian government controls the Donbass and Crimea? No difference at all. These regions have been under various jurisdictions over the past decades and centuries. Some people say that Putin is the new Hitler and that if we don't stop him in Ukraine, he will invade the rest of Europe and possibly, possibly even Canada. They accuse me of being a contemporary Neville Chamberlain who naively thought he could appease Hitler. This is nonsense. The Russian economy is about the same size as the Canadian economy. Russia is barely able to keep control of the few territories populated mostly by ethnic Russians that it conquered. It has no ability whatsoever to invade and occupy NATO countries, and its army would be quickly destroyed if it tried. Are we defending democracy in Ukraine? No, not really. Ukraine is an unstable country and far from a model of democracy. There was a coup in 2014 that removed a pro-Russian president. Zelensky banned all pro-Russian opposition parties just earlier this year. Some people have been telling me that I should actively support Ukraine because there are 1.4 million Canadians of Ukrainian descent. What kind of argument is that? There are Canadians of all ethnic backgrounds. Does it mean we should get involved in every conflict in the world and support the side that has the largest representation among ethnic groups in Canada? Canada's foreign policy should be based on Canada's national interest, not on the loyalty of some Canadians for the country where they or their ancestors came from. 100%. So how did we get here? How did we become a co-belligerent in this war against Russia? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his minority liberal government with no dissent from the opposition benches have indicted Russia as the aggressor for invading Ukraine on February 24. They have made Russia an enemy of Canada, despite ample evidence by independent observers in the United States and Europe that Moscow is not solely responsible for the outbreak of this war. This is reckless, irresponsible, and has undermined Canada's long-standing reputation as a peacemaking and peacekeeping middle power on the international stage. Peacemaking requires considering the real concerns, threats, and security interests of the parties in the conflict without prejudging the issues or demonizing one party while supporting the other. Let's uh, take a moment to look at this from the Russian perspective. First, I want to make it clear that I have no sympathy at all for Vladimir Putin. He is a brutal tyrant who has imprisoned and very likely killed some of his political opponents and censored his country's media. His values are not mine. But that doesn't mean 
he is crazy and that his arguments should be entirely dismissed. According to him, Russia's invasion of Ukraine or the special military operation, as he calls it, was in response to Russia's worsening security situation. This resulted from the eastward expansion of NATO and the fact that NATO troops and missiles were moving ever closer to the Russian border. This uh, eastward expansion was described as an existential threat to the Russian Federation on numerous occasions, as in the 2007 Munich Security Conference when President Putin expressed his concern to the Western world. Let me quote the words of George Kennan, who warned us against NATO expansion. Kennan was a diplomat, historian, and served as a U.S. ambassador in Moscow during the Soviet era. He was also the father of the contentment policy the West adopted, directed at the Soviet Union during the Cold War era. In response to the vote in the U.S. Senate in May 1998 approving NATO's eastward expansion following the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union, Kennan said this, and I quote, I think it is the beginning of a new Cold War. It is a tragic mistake. No one was threatening anybody else. I was particularly bothered by the references to Russia as a country dying to attack Western Europe. Don't people understand? Our differences in the Cold War were the Soviet communist regime, and now we are turning our backs on the very people who mounted the greatest bloodless revolution in history to remove that Soviet regime. Of course, there is going to be a bad reaction from Russia, and then those who support NATO's expansions will say that we always told you that is how Russians are. But this is just wrong. End of the quote. That was George Kennan nearly a quarter century ago predicting what might happen. We know what happened since then. In 2014, a coup took place in Kiev that removed an elected pro-Russian president from office with the support of the Obama administration. In response, the Russian invaded the Crimean Peninsula, which, by the way, had been given to Ukraine by the Soviet government only in 1954 and was populated mainly by Russians. Since then, there have been also conflicts in the Donbass, Ukraine's eastern region also populated mainly by ethnic Russians. It's very hard to have an objective description of the situation. But I read that Ukraine adopted laws that discriminated against the ethnic Russians. That some of these uh, Russian Ukrainians, perhaps encouraged by Russia, wanted to separate from Ukraine and join Russia. That uh, neo-Nazi Ukrainian military units persecuted ethnic Russians and that the region was bombarded, killing many people. According to independent observers in Ukraine, such as the Swiss military intelligence officer, Colonel Jacques Beau, 
Ukrainian shelling of the Donbass was increased 40-fold in mid-February 2022, while some 50,000 Ukrainian troops by the end of 2021 were deployed in the southern part of the country in preparation for a spring offensive. I'm sure if I had a debate here between pro-Ukraine and pro-Russia expert, we could add many more reasons to blame one side or the other. But my point is that we almost never hear the Russian side of the story, since all Western governments and almost all Western media explicitly support Ukraine. We hear a lot in the Western press about Putin's speeches where he says Ukraine is not a real country, that the fall of the Soviet Union was a disaster for Russia, and that he wants to bring back Russians' former glory as a world superpower. These are probably part of his motivation to attack Ukraine. But why do we never hear about the shelling of the Donbass by Ukraine and about the Russian perspective that they had to assist the ethnic Russians in that region and about the Russian fear of being encircled by NATO? Are we absolutely sure that Russia is entirely to blame or that Ukraine is only a victim? I'm not. This past October marked the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis that brought the United States and the former Soviet Union to the brink of a nuclear confrontation. It was avoided and a de-escalation followed because the leaders of both countries, President Kennedy and Premier Khrushchev, recognized the heavy burden placed upon them in the nuclear age. They understood that war between nuclear powers is insanity and that there cannot be an excuse for a just war in the age of nuclear weapons. No American president then or since would accept such a threat to American security as the missiles in Cuba post, and President Kennedy was driven to take measures to have those missiles removed immediately. Similarly, no Russian leader would accept or allow that a country on its borders, Ukraine, as close as Cuba or Mexico are to the US, be turned into a NATO platform for conventional or nuclear weapons pointed at Russia. How is it that our first and most urgent responsibility in securing peace in the nuclear age has been put aside? And instead, we are witnessing how recklessly the West has raised the stake over Ukraine by disregarding the warnings from Moscow. The West deliberately disregarded Russia's red line, as the former Soviet Union did in disregarding the American red line by installing missiles in Cuba. In the 1990s, there was a talk that Russia might one day become a member of NATO. President Putin himself did not rule out this possibility in 2000. But instead of listening to the other side and taking steps to reassure the Russians, we blew it and made enemies of them. 
And we pushed them in the arms of the Chinese. The drastic financial sanctions against Russia have also encouraged many countries from the emerging South to distrust the West even more. The organization of BRICS countries is expanding, and these countries, including Russia, India, and China, are working on the launch of a new world reserve currency, probably backed by gold. That will make them more financially independent from the U.S. and its dollar. These countries represent 80% of the world's population. When the dollar collapses as the world's reserve currency, the U.S. will lose its status of the sole superpower. The West is not the whole world. On the contrary, it is becoming increasingly isolated. We are moving from a unipolar world dominated by the U.S. to a multipolar world with other emerging powers. We are neighbors to the U.S., completely dependent on them to defend our continent, and our economies are closely interrelated. Realistically, we have no choice but to be in their camp. We don't need to follow them in every one of their reckless foreign military interventions. Here, let me recall the words of Lester B. Person as Secretary of State for External Affairs in the Liberal government of Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent. At the signing ceremony of the North Atlantic Treaty in Washington on April 4, 1949, he said, this treaty is not a pact of war, but a pledge for peace and progress. The North Atlantic Treaty, according to the Canadian government, at the funding of NATO, was designed to meet the security challenges of the Cold War in a divided Europe at the end of the World War II. But after the end of the Cold War, the treaty became twisted in bringing together NATO members under U.S. command in supporting regime changes and wars in the Balkans, in Serbia over Kosovo, in Iraq, Libya and Syria, in Georgia and Ukraine. Canadian governments under both liberal and conservative prime ministers, yeah. however, have demonstrated on occasions reluctance or opposition to joining such coalitions when it was unclear whether the proposed missions were based on Canada's national interest. Prime Minister Jean Chrétien rejected Canada's participation in the Iraq War of 2003 because there was no Security Council authorization given for use of military force against Iraq. Similarly, Prime Ministers Pearson and Pierre Trudeau never entertained any notion of lending military support to the United States in the Vietnam War during the height of the Cold War era. Canadian leadership helped defuse the Suez crisis in the 1950s instead of pouring fuel on the fire of as the government of Canada has been doing in the present crisis in Ukraine. At the end of the Cold War, Prime Minister Brian Maroney withdrew Canada's military presence entirely from Europe. On July 10, 1993, the last batch of Canadian armed forces personnel left Europe. It is evident 
that the current government in Ottawa and all members of our parliament have forgotten our history and tradition of peacemaking and peacekeeping through the Cold War period and after. Our role right from the outset of the Ukraine war should have been that of a peacemaker. We should have remained faithful to our tradition of peacemaking and help de-escalate the conflict. Even with the little influence we have, instead of helping keep the war going and being partly responsible for tens of thousands of deaths. It is not too late to change direction if more Canadians understand what is at stake. But there is work to be done to make sure Canadians understand. In Canada today, our political discourse is very narrow. The corporate media smears and discredits anyone who offers a dissident perspective to the mainstream narrative. There is no opposition in Parliament, but they are independent journalists with a different uh, voice. There is the People's Party of Canada, myself, our candidates across the country. We will not be silenced. We will never be afraid to advocate for common sense ideas on behalf of Canadians. Thank you. Stay strong and free. All right. <clears throat> so, <laughs> show me a political leader within the establishment that has the courage to say what Maxime Bernier said in that speech to go against what the majority of Western leaders are supporting and to what end. Again, the people of the Ukraine are being used by globalists and by national leaders throughout the West. Um, and obviously the media is behind this contrived war and the propaganda therein. That's their job. That's what they're paid for by our tax dollars to do, to lie to you, to lie to the people, to lie to everyone in support of what the globalist agenda is. And the war, avoidable war in the Ukraine, um, is just that. It's a mechanism to use to achieve different goals throughout the agenda, Agenda 2030, the SDGs. Uh, that's what's happening. And essentially, by our Western leaders. And we're going to get a serious wake-up call in the very near future when the BRICS movement and that alignment of nations where it's 80%, as Max mentioned, as we talked about on my show before, 80% uh, of the world's population. Um, very rude awakening is, is about to happen. 
um, to the people of Canada and throughout Western civilization. Anyways, I have Salim Mansour backstage ready to come in and add some more perspective to uh, to Max's speech and the, the issue in general. Uh, and again, Salim Mansour is our national treasure when it comes to foreign affairs and uh, and the globalist agenda. So welcome, Salim. Good to see you, my friend. Good evening. Um, that was wonderful of you to uh, <coughs> uh, play back uh, Maxime's uh, podcast, which was released, I believe, only a couple of days ago this mm. week. So Maxime has um, staked his position um, not only in Canadian politics on the question of foreign policy and the most important foreign policy issue at this point in time is the war and its consequences and what it means and will mean going forward. But he has, I think, staked his position for the entire collective West. The tragedy is what is heartbreaking, as I sat listening to Maxime, I had listened to the podcast when it came out, uh, is that how degraded is our political system because our people, Canadian people, have refused to uh, throw aside the narrative of the main political parties and listen to a man like Maxime, listen to the people around him. And if only Maxime was able to deliver this speech on the floor of the House of Commons, Right. What an impact that would be. Of course, the speech is not going to be covered by the mainstream media as it deserves to be. Um, but we, we can. Salim, sorry, I'm a little bit surprised that the media didn't cover it in a negative way. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised at that. Um, <clears throat> I'm not surprised um, that they didn't cover it with a negative or positive, but your point, why didn't they cover, give it a, some airing in a negative way, I suppose you're saying? Uh, um, <clears throat> the media is owned by the oligarchs. Uh, the media is not independent. The media is owned by the political parties uh, through the taxpayers' money. That's what um, <clears throat> Justin Trudeau has done over the past several years, has bought the mainstream media, the CBC, the global CTV, all are basically the mouthpiece of Ottawa. They're the propaganda arm of the globalists in Ottawa. So we know all of that. But just for the sake of uh, the argument, uh, Presenting uh, Max's speech, uh, I imagine, would have consequences that they would not be able to, you know, answer. Uh, if it is, if it was presented as a negative, then it would arouse uh, interest among the people. What it is that is negative? Let's ask. Mm -hmm. Let's explore. You know, somebody would have to then explain what is negative, and therefore, to explain something as negative and that from the point of view of the media, which is the arm of the government, they would have to spell out what is the reason the government is spending billions of dollars, as Maxime just mentioned, $4 billion in this calendar year, uh, 2022. So what is the reason? What, they would have to explain that. They would have to lay out the rationale. And and nobody has done that. It is simply being presented one-sided manner 
as as Maxim quite rightly says, you know, <clears throat> Putin bad, uh, Ukraine good, invasion, and this is uh, this is it. There is no no discussion anywhere because there's nobody raising these questions in the parliament. Right. <clears throat> and if it had been presented in a manner even slightly that Maxim's position that he has spelled out has rational rationale and legitimacy, then that would explode the government's position. And so you see, it cannot be presented either way in a slightly positive manner or in a negative manner. Uh, and that's why simply a blanket censorship, you know, uh, cancel culture, and that's what we are in. 100%. Yep. But it, it, it is really uh, makes me uh, proud to have been, a, to be a friend of Maxime, to have been, you know, uh, engaged with Maxime when he launched the party. Uh, and I found my home with Maxime in PPC after I was expelled as an Islamophobe by Andrew Scheer. Uh, I, I, I also would argue now that I would have been expelled as an Islamophobe by Stephen Harper um, if um, I had sought a nomination uh, in an election during the time that he was the leader, even though I know Stephen Harper very well uh, or have known him for quite quite some time before he became the prime minister. Uh, yeah. But but now, you know, uh, we can see very clearly, and we are free to now speak about it, how utterly corrupt the con party is in Canada. It is worse than um, the Liberals and the NDP because on the part of the Liberals and the NDP, there is no pretension. Right. There's no pretension of them are defending Canadian interests. But on the part of the Khan party, their argument is the mask that they wear is that they're defending conservative tradition, the conservative tradition of Canada. And of course, it is quite the opposite of what they say. 100%. Yeah. So in, in terms of the Ukraine war, conflict <clears throat> i want to i want to talk a little bit more about that Salim. sure but can i can i just take a little departure from there and and, yeah. and say because as i was listening to maxim again you know mm -hmm. what struck me are a number of things in the larger historical context because maxim in a sense indicated that without being self aware uh, and I, sitting and, and listening to him, uh, that struck me very powerfully, you know. Uh, Maxime mentioned Louis Saint-Laurent, the prime ministership of Louis Saint-Laurent. Uh, Louis Saint-Laurent became prime minister, if my memory serves me, in 1948. And he stepped down after the election defeat of the Liberals in the 1957 election, when uh, John D. van de Weeke, led the progressive conservative to a massive majority. And that's when <clears throat> Louis Saint Laurent stepped down from the leadership of the Liberal Party and handed it over to, in, in, in the um, internal leadership campaign of the Liberal Party to Lester Pearson. But the point is very significant. Louis Saint Laurent was a French Canadian, <clears throat> you know, and it is under Louis Saint Laurent's 
prime ministership, he he follows Mackenzie King, who was prime minister since until 1948, and Mackenzie King was was the longest serving prime minister and remains the longest serving prime minister of Canada. Uh, he was ca uh, prime minister for, I believe, almost 22 years and through, of course, uh, the depression years and the Second World War. And then he stepped down uh, in 1948 and handed it over to Louis Saint Laurent. <clears throat> and it is under Louis Saint Laurent's leadership um, that Canada joined NATO in 1949, and he cited um, uh, Prime Minister uh, Pearson's speech or words uh, from 1949. I mean, sorry, he was the foreign minister. He was the Minister for External Affairs, Secretary of State for External Affairs in 1949. That's Lester Pearson. So it was under the leadership of a French-Canadian Prime Minister. And the most significant event under the uh, Prime Ministership of Saint Laurent in terms of foreign policy, was the Suez War in 1956, a war that was fabricated. Now we know all about it because all the records are out. It was a war fabricated by Britain, France, and Israel against Egypt, against uh, the president of Egypt, uh, uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser in 1956, when Gamal Abdel Nasser, who was a nationalist, an Arab nationalist, he was not a blue Muslim Brotherhood man, he was not an Islamist, he was a nationalist that we all want to, in a sense, support at this time in our history that is under the globalist agenda, right? So this is the world in the 1950s when the uh, colonies of uh, Britain and France and Spain and Portugal and so on are becoming independent. And Egypt had become independent after the revolution in 1952. So to cut to the chase, President Nasser nationalized the Swiss Canal, that it was Egypt's canal, even though it had been built with the money of the French and the British, and it was controlled ever since it was built by the British and the French through the Swiss Canal Company. Right. Nasser nationalized it and took it back because it is the Egyptian workers had worked on it and, and, and built the canal. And it was, you know, something which was on Egyptian soil. So what did Britain and France do? They colluded with Israel to attack uh, Egypt, and that was the Swiss War. Well, we won't go into the complexity of the Swiss War, but the point is that Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent's government, for the first time in Canadian history since 1867, did not stand up, salute uh, the Queen of England, and say, my mother empire has gone to war, and so Canadians have to join the British and the French and go to war. It was not only the British that was the mother empire, it was the France also. So he did not do that. He did not salute. He, in fact, led the opposition to the war through the United Nations. And that's the birth of the peacemaking and peacekeeping role. Instead of supporting Britain and supporting France and therefore supporting Israel, 
in a fabricated war against the people trying to rise up and become independent, Mr. Louis Saint Laurent was in the thick of the activity at the United Nation at that time in early 1950s, when the United Nation was basically controlled by the Western powers. Mm. Mainland China was not a member of the United Nation at that time. It, Taiwan was um, taking the seat of China. Soviet Union was the only power that was in an opposition to the Western powers. The Cold War was on. But the majority of the countries in the United Nations, because most of the countries were not yet independent, were basically European powers and Latin American powers, and they were Western powers. And Louis Saint Laurent opposed it. He joined those people in the United Nations, like India, like Indonesia, like Pakistan, like Saudi Arabia, to oppose this war. And eventually, it was his government, through the activity of Pearson, innovated the peacekeeping role for the United Nations. That was not in the UN Charter. So it was innovated by the Canadians. This is this should be our bipartisan tradition that we should be defending. And the only man who's defending this tradition, you know, more than 60 years later, is Maxim Bernier and you and I and the People's Party. And we are crying out aloud our hearts to waken the Canadian people to understand that to be sovereign to be respected, to be held up as an example in the world. If that's what Canadians want, then Canadians must stand for truth and values and ultimately for peace and peacemaking and peacekeeping. And then the, another point that he made, Maxim made, so important. This was the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the lesson of the Cuban Missile Crisis that President Kennedy and Prime Minister Nikita Khrushchev worked out together to peacefully end that crisis. Again, without going into the minutiae and the details of that history, the fact remains that the crisis was ended and President Kennedy was on a road in a direction that could have changed the world if he had not been murdered. By whom? But the military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned about. So the point that Maxime raised is that in the nuclear age, mm. there can be no just war. Right. The only thing in the nuclear age that the ultimate responsibility of political leadership is to prevent any escalation of war, especially when a nuclear power is involved, to prevent such an escalation of war and to immediately bring about, you know, an end to the conflict and find the diplomatic solution. That should have been our role, Canada's role, when right. this thing began in February of uh, 2022. You and I have spoken about this. And now, Maxim as the leader of PPC has confirmed this. And now it goes into the record that well, is the only leader. Opposition in parliament, unfortunately. Yeah, but the fact that there is no opposition and that's what breaks my heart. Hmm. It's the Canadian people. 
Yes. I mean, who is elected? It is, after all, the election is done by the Canadian people. So where are the people in Canada? Let's forget about Central Canada. What about Western Canada? What about Alberta? What about Saskatchewan? If only two, three or four members of PPC were in the parliament, that voice that Maxime said today would have resounded in the parliament. We would have silenced the parliament. Yes. We would have exposed the Prime Minister for what he is, a moron who is destroying the Canada's history, value, tradition, and the country. Yes. And everybody is going along with this. So with, and, and that and, raises the other point in my as I was listening to him. Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> when a, a man is elected or a woman is elected a prime minister or a president. In America, they have not yet elected a president, a woman. Uh, they have a vice president, Kamala Harris, and I better not say anything about Kamala Harris, you know, knowing her background. Both of us, you know, half of Kamala Harris is an Indian, and, you know, I am of Indian origin, so I know the culture for where she comes. Mm. Uh, but the point is, elected prime minister, elected president is not a lifetime job in a democracy, you know? So <clears throat> when the prime minister and the presidents, they step down from the office, whether they have been defeated or they step down because they take a retirement from the leadership position and hand it over to new leaders, they don't, they don't go away they are, if they're alive. So we have several prime ministers alive. We have Brian Maroney, we have Jean Chrétien, we have Paul Martin, we have, of course, Stephen Harper, we have Joe Clark. Not one of these prime ministers have, you know, taken the responsibility to come and speak out and say, look, right. this is not something that we should be involved in. This is not our tradition in our lifetime. This is not the tradition that we have been building up since the making of the United Nations. Everybody in Canada that is a political leadership, they always keep putting their finger up for the United Nations, their hands up, how good, how good they are in following the United Nations. Of course, they are jumping up and down and following the United Nations Agenda 2030 that is going to, you know, deindustrialize and uh, populate, population reduction of Canada. But... You know, when it comes to the matter of life and death and destruction, not one of these prime ministers. Where is Stephen Harper? Stephen Harper was a, a week or so ago in uh, Toronto visiting the Israeli consulate and, and putting on the candles for the Hanukkah. Wonderful. That's what you sp uh, defend multiculturalism? Okay. But where, where are you? Why are you silent? Right. You have the right as a prime minister to say something and then mm -hmm. saying something would be to give some sort of clue to the conservative party and their leadership who have just become the shadow of this moronic prime minister, Justin Trudeau. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and the silence is, is as loud as a cannonball. There is no one speaking out. Well, and that's, that's, I mean, that's the reason why you have a Canadian population that is so ignorant and, and granted in most cases willfully ignorant but th there's nothing in the mainstream there's no opposition being echoed or or repeated or parroted in the in the media to to let others know to let the people know that there is 
viable, legitimate opposition to what's happening. It just doesn't exist. We're it. We are it, Salim. <laughs> the PPC is is it, and you know what it's like. It's complete blackout in the media. So uh, that's our challenge. Yes, and 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 the sad thing is, we are it. In other words, we are sitting um, on on the graveside of a country that we love, and the country that you know we stand for, which we are watching is being demolished, is being eaten away from inside. You know, hundred percent. The, the the third point I wanted to mention is that you know here is Maxime. Maxime is a French Canadian, mm. you know, and he has taken the stand which you and I and many of us strongly support and 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 stand with him. Okay, but where is English Canada? There, 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 there in Ottawa, there is no one. But what about English Canada? You know, the, the nine other provinces have their premiers, have their elected members, you know. Uh, not one has spoken out. Not one has raised any question about this. So that is the other thing that was so striking, that he is the only uh, uh, leader, though not elected to the parliament at this point in time, but he was Canada's foreign minister. Yes. So he has the weight and authority of what he said, you know, that you played out, mm. which goes back to what he pointed uh, as, a, as an example. And that too took courage, somewhat of a courage from a liberal prime minister who also happens to be a French Canadian, that is Jean Chrétien, that when the collective West mm. was pushing for a war, that was a fabricated war. Now right. we all know that there was no weapon of mass destruction in Iraq right. uh, and so on and so forth. That it was a, it was a total lies that Colin Powell and George yeah. W. Bush and others said in going to war against Iraq. And it had no authorization of the United Nation. Right. This was a war that was a, a war carried out by the coalition of the willing backed up by NATO countries, that is a collective West, and which is exactly what was happening as, you know, Ma 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 Maxime pointed out, in Libya, in I Iraq, uh, we mentioned in Syria, uh, in Kosovo, Serbia, and so on and so forth. Jean Chrétien in 2003 refused as the Prime Minister of Canada to join the coalition of the willing, as he said, this has no UN authorization. Right. So to reflect back, you know, that is that is a remarkable thing in our history. The thing that I wanted to point out as I was listening to Maxime, that it has been the French leadership in Canada. Louis Saint Laurent, and then of course Louis and uh, Lester Pearson was his external affairs minister, so he carried out the government's position, Louis Saint Laurent, uh, Jean Chrétien, and now Maxime Bernier. And so I leave this part of the discussion with the question, mm. is it that the French Canadian can speak boldly and strongly when, it, when they feel that it is time to speak boldly and strongly on certain issues uh, because they are confident of their culture? They're confident of who they are as Canadian in, or as French, because you know that's the, that's again now 
something now recognized by a parliamentary motion uh, that was pushed by Stephen Harper that uh, Quebec is a na nation within Canada. So there is nationalism there. There is pride there. And that English Canada, that is the rest of Canada, has become so moth-eaten over the last half century that we cannot stand up for our values because we have no core value left as a result of multiculturalism and open door immigration and migration that leads uh, Mr. Trudeau to say Canada is a post-national state and has no core identity. He says Canada, but actually, as I was thinking about it, he means rest of Canada because he cannot say the same thing in Quebec. He will lose his position in Quebec, his seat in Quebec, in a flash if he says that. Right, 100%. But it's in, in, in all of that, it's, it's our job, your job, my job, and, and many others to inspire people in English Canada to start to stand and, and, that, and inspire people to, 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 to courage and to, and to stand for what they believe and who they are. Uh, uh, so they're not going to do it on their own. They, you know, the people are very sheepish and they need to be led. So we need to stand and lead them, I guess. Yes, yes. And that's what Maxime is doing. Maxime could have gone away, you know. As so many others have done. I mean, where are all the host of uh, uh, former uh, member of parliaments from Alberta? I say Alberta because Alberta has been sending the bulk of conservative members to parliament. Without Alberta, conservative would not have much of a presence in in uh, in Ottawa. Um, so where are those members of parliament who have retired? We don't hear, the, I mentioned Stephen Harper, but there was a whole lot of them. We don't hear from them. You don't even hear from the ones that are elected and representing Albertans right now. Nobody yeah. says anything out of school within the establishment. Well, I mean, uh, Mr. Mr. Andrew Shear laid out the rule. I mean, and I, I, I think that rule is the party rule. That is the rule of the back, back uh, stage players and donors and, and, and the Laurentian elite. That anybody who speaks against the position of the official position of the Conservative Party on any issue will have to leave the party will become either backbencher and if yes. they're not elected members uh as it was in my case will be expelled on whatever ground that the party says so in my case it was islamophobia in the case if anybody spoke out whether they're elected or unelected uh non-elected uh they would be expelled from the party or put into the backbench because they are um Possibly, you know, Ukrainophobia, or possibly they're involved in, you know, um, truth-telling that goes against what is the Conservative Party, which doesn't tell truth and doesn't defend truth. No, that's it. And it's interesting because we, I have a, uh, a group on the Signal chat, <coughs> and we got into a fairly uh, boisterous discussion the other night, and there was a couple of people that were promoting the idea of you know, working from within these establishment parties like the Conservative Party or the UPC or or whatever it is. <clears throat> and of course, it's those individuals that don't understand that this is that the environment of which the the establishment have created. You can't speak truth in these parties. 
they will kick you out or they'll backbench you and you'll never be heard from again. And so people really need to understand what these establishment parties represent. They have themselves committed to these agendas, this, this supranational agenda, and they're not going to stray from it. They may say some language that you like to hear, but they're not going to say things that you need to hear. And that's the difference. And, and they'll just spin it and they'll just work it in whatever way they can to manage whatever it is they need to convince people to vote for them. Absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, you, 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 you pointed this out or you were pointing out in your earlier remark that uh, there is a wake awakening coming as a result of this war in mm. Ukraine. You pointed out again what uh, Maxime uh, indicated, what you and I have been indicating uh, through this period beginning in uh, February when the war began, that globally, the, the Canadian media and the American media and the British media is reporting the war and the events around it as if this is a one in which Russia is isolated and Russia is losing. Yep. But the facts of the matter is just the opposite, 180 degrees opposite. This is a war in which the collective West is becoming more and more isolated as the yes. war has dragged on to the point now uh, that 80% of the world has turned its back on the collective West. I say collective West because the collective West means all of the Western powers that are connected, not simply culturally, but politically, militarily. That is NATO, the European Union, the World Economic Forum. This is the collective West. Uh, the yes. membership there is not of China or Indonesia or India. And even if the people go there to those meetings, they just go there as you know witnesses or, or are invited and so on and so forth. Right. So it is the collective West that has become isolated. Canada has become isolated as part of the collective West because there is no support for this war outside of the collective West. And even within the collective West, because the news media manufactures a false narrative, most people in the collective West, in France, in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, just as in Canada, and of course the United States, don't know the facts, except for those people who have taken the trouble to learn the facts, what are the facts, go behind the public narrative of the CBC, CBS, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, and find that this is all lies, you know, and, and that's, yeah, thank you, Mark, that's the collective West in gray. And so at the UN, I mean, if, if the United States and the collective West has support of what they're doing in fueling uh, this war in Ukraine, that this is a, a NATO war against Russia. If they had the support at the UN, they would have brought resolutions after resolutions after resolutions in the United Nations. Right. In the Security Council, those resolutions would have been vetoed by Russia, but then they would have brought those resolutions in the General Assembly as they did 
during the Korean War. The Korean War was based upon a UN General Assembly resolution, not a Security Council resolution. So the reason they haven't and they will not is because they have no vote. They will be, you know, uh, voted out and, and exposed. So that's why the old story, we don't hear the dog bark because the dog cannot bark. So that's, that's a huge reality. And inside that reality is the breaking away of the global south of the BRIC nation from the control of the collective West that they have, collective West has enjoyed since the end of the Second World War and the institutions that the collective West built through which they have exercised control in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia, and so on and so forth. And, and that is going to break down. You know, it is so, going to break down uh, very likely as the petrodollar meets its end. Mm. As, as countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, the major petrodollar station, Saudi Arabia, and then all of the other OPEC countries, which are Arab uh, base, you know, in the Gulf, they all move from petrodollar uh, reserve currency to bilateral trade with China, with Russia, with India, and all of the uh, global south. That means none of those countries will be buying uh, US currency, US treasury bill, mm -hmm. through which to make their deals in terms of global trade. That will have a very far-reaching consequence that we haven't yet thought through. Nobody in Ottawa is talking about it, but well, it is going to come. Salim, we talked about this uh, off-camera, and I'd like to delve into a little bit of, of what we talked about. And, and I'm going to start it in, in this sense. So when this agenda was first brought forward, uh, in an official way in 92, but well before that. I think that countries like Russia, China, throughout Indonesia, Africa, South America, I honestly believe that they were like the Cheshire cat watching the West commit to this agenda, knowing that at some point they're going to be able to take advantage of the situation that Western leaders have got themselves into. And, and I think they saw it as a, obviously a net benefit to them while they're all agreeing to this agenda in 92, the they're sitting back and waiting for the West to de destroy itself from within. And, and for them then to, to take it as an opportunity to, to do what's best for their nation states based on the West destroying itself. Yeah, I think you make a very plausible case in that argument because we are looking now retrospectively, right? We are connecting the dots. Yeah. And you're going back to 1992. Obviously, you're going back to the Earth Summit. Yeah. You're going back to the, the announcement. Yeah. yeah, the announcement of... At that time, President George Herbert Walker Bush about the new world order. And 
the idea that came out, which they started speaking at that time, rule-based order, not international law, but rule-based order. International law is what will be negotiated under the auspices of the United Nations. Right. So um, <clears throat> looking back at it now, um, you can make that case very strongly. Mm. But if you go back to the real time when these events first became public, um, again, you and I have talked about this for a long time, that nothing that happened in the Earth Summit and that followed began then. It had a gestation period that goes back to the 1940s and even before. I've talked about the Council of Foreign Relations that goes yeah. back to 1921. Last year, 2021 was the 100th anniversary of that. The making of Council of Foreign Relations, the making through the war of the United Nations, the World Bank, the IMF, the making of the various other organizations that were in the private sector, but people were talking about it. And you have been repeatedly talking about these issues in many forums that you have uh, yeah. spoken at uh, and in public town hall meeting, that is uh, the Club of Rome, the organization that was founded, you know, and so on. Mm -hmm. So these were, these happened decades, decades before 1992. So the question, if you go back in real time, why 1992? Well, we know that, and, 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 and people at that real time knew that, was the collapse of the Soviet Union that began with the breakdown of the Berlin Wall. Mm. Now, remember this, not, not you, but the people I'm saying, remember this, that when 1989, the demonstration began that led to the breakdown of the uh, Berlin Wall in November of 1989, Soviet wow. Union was still a military power. Right. It was, it's of course, the world's, you know, uh, second most important military power. Sure. And if Gorbachev and others in the Soviet Union wanted to do what was done uh, in 1956, for example, when uh, Khrushchev sent the military, Soviet military, into Hungary. The Hungarian people had risen up uh, in 1956 for freedom or democracy within the context of the Soviet argument that they wanted to be free of Moscow. And, yes. and Soviet army went in and crushed it. Then the, it happened in 1968 when what we now know as what began in Czechoslovakia, the same idea, the same desire to rise up and, and, and become independent and, and, and have freedom. And the Soviet army went in and smashed it. Soviet army meant was, means the Warsaw Pact army, you know, yeah. NATO army, Warsaw Pact army. They went in and they smashed it, you know, and, 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 and uh, the Prague Spring was over. Similarly, in Poland, when Lech Walesa Solidarity Movement began in the early 70s, uh, Moscow signaled with the backing of its power for the Polish general, his name, if I remember, Jaruzelski, to declare martial law and take over. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. Right. So 
1989, Gorbachev could have done the same thing mm -hmm. because East Germany was a communist state. Right. Germany was divided. Berlin Wall divided Germany, and and German uh, Stasi, German army that is the East German Stasi, East German, were vicious. They're vicious. No different than Nazis. I mean, as you have on repeated occasion have pointed out, I have pointed out that the Nazis and the communists are totalitarian. They might talk from two ends of the mouth, but they have the same objective: to crush freedom, yes. to crush individual right. To crush any aspect of democracy. So they could have done that, but Gorbachev didn't. He allowed the Berlin Wall to come down because he was championing when he became the general secretary of the Soviet Communist Party and therefore the leader of Soviet Union. He was championing the cause which he talked about, Glasnost and Perestroika. Glasnost, the opening up of Soviet Union to the world, Perestroika, mm. the change of the economy from a completely communist controlled economy to a more open economy. So mm. now when he's talking about change, he could not logically do the opposite, behave like a totalitarian leader that mm. Stalin was. Right. So he allowed this thing to go through and he negotiated with the European leaders at that time, including President George Herbert Walker Bush. Ronald Reagan was gone. He negotiated with them and all of them, these are on record, was assured them that the Western powers, that is the collective West, that is NATO, would not take advantage of what was happening in Soviet Union. That was understood. So you, you in a real-time situation, from 89 to 1992, the Soviet Union collapsed from inside and Boris Yeltsin seized power. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at the Earth Summit, when these mm -hmm. agenda were officially put together, there was no opposition right. to this to this position. China was not going to oppose it because China was engaged at that time under Deng Xiaoping in trying to attract Western investment into China, mm -hmm. quote unquote liberalization of China and the Western uh, 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 transnational companies, monopolies and others were busy offshoring production from the West to China because why? Number of reasons. As the Western governments in the United States, led by the United States, in Canada, in Western Europe, mm. were tightening uh, rules in terms of labor uh, requirements, that is, you know, uh, listening to the unions and, and, and fulfilling their demand on the question of wages, on the question of um, the entire compensation package, welfare and pensions and so on uh, for, for the workers in the Western world. Um, the, the monopolies were making these agreements, that is the governments were making these agreements, but the monopolies signaled by the governments were offshoring the thing to take advantage of low wages in China, hardly yeah. any wage, you know, low wages in China, no restriction on environmental controls, no restriction on all those industrial requirements of safety and safeguards. Yeah. And so 
the complicity of the West in offshoring industries to China in 1990s, so 1992, and collapse of the Soviet Union. So there was no opposition. There was not, not going to be any voice from the global south. India was not going to raise the voice. Brazil was not going to raise the voice because they're all preoccupied with their own development. So in a sense, the, the Western leaders took the advantage of the weakness structural weakness, political weakness, cultural weakness, technological weakness mm-hmm. of the, its opposition, first in the communist countries, because communist had, communism had collapsed, and then in the global south, the global south is weak. And so they were going to establish new rules, rule-based order, new world order, and in that new world order, as we have talked about it, would be the first thing in the agenda that is the whole issue of man-made global warming. No, Nobody talks about man-made global warming today, this climate change, but it begins with man-made global warming in 1992, and as Maurice Strong and others made it very clear, this is to uh, decarbonize the world economy. That and is to end the and redistribute wealth and... and- <laughs> Exactly. And all of the depopulation and, and all of these things. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and it is the Western government. I mean, take the case of Brian Mulroney, Prime Minister. He gladly signed the Kyoto Protocol and so mm. on. So the Westerners, the Western leaders did that. The Global South leaders who were attending these conferences, they raised their hand and voted for, for them because... As you just now mentioned, there would be redistribution of wealth. Yes. It would come through carbon tax pricing and so on. And and, and they and they would be on the and they would be on the receiving end. So yes. that is fine. But when it comes to the hardcore issue of global decarbonization, what mm. did the leaders of the West do? Right. When they when they pushed the thing, they said the the developing countries. China, India, Nigeria, Brazil, all of them, Indonesia, all of them will have exemption. Right. So the science behind this was a total fraud. But in our university, in my university, Western, in Toronto, across the Western world, this fraudulent science of global warming was going to be taught to our children. Our children who were, you know, going to school, high school and college in 1990, today are fathers, mothers and grandfathers. This whole two generation have been brainwashed completely by this false science. If you go to India, for instance, and you talk about man-made, you know, uh, global warming, and therefore we have to end uh, the natural resources, fossil fuel, whether it is coal, whether it is gas, they're going to laugh at you. Right. Because they need to develop and they will tell you. And this has been said in international forum. This agenda of climate change is the agenda of the rich people to keep the poor people poor for the rest yes. of their lives. Yes, because when people are poor, they're easily controlled and dependent on whoever's ruling them. 
and that's what they want for the whole world. Whole world, yeah. We have had our 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 cars, our refrigerators, our air conditioners, and so on and so forth. But you people in Vietnam, you people in India, you people in Malaysia, you cannot have them because you're going to pollute the environment, and therefore, you know, this climate change is going to stop. But no, they're not going to accept it, and they haven't accepted it. Right. And you cannot blame the prime ministers of the global south, you know, no. saying that they betrayed us. They didn't betray anybody. They want to modernize. Yes. Who are you to tell them that you cannot modernize? We have had our modernity and you're not going to. We, we have a policy of abortion. You also have to have a policy of abortion. That's exactly what Justin Trudeau has been saying and, and by going to Africa. I, this is why I say the leaders of the global south, the leaders of nation states want the best maybe in, in in a lot of cases want the best for the people of their nation and they're not going to agree with this insanity exactly. meanwhile they're watching western nations led by the likes of trudeau and macron and others uh, destroy themselves from the inside out and there's, Absolutely. there's nothing these people would like to see more than our destruction and, and to their benefit it is again uh, my 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 argument. <clears throat> yeah. So what we are seeing is a complete inversion. The the uh, land and the birthplace of modern democracy. Uh, let me just say, United States, 1776. That is the landmark date and the ideals of 1776, which, as a child, me growing up in India. Uh, uh, you know, looked up to, like all of us looked up to, you know, and people around the world looked up to, yes. you know. So it is in the land of 1776, the ideals of 1776, where it was first pronounced, announced, and, and, and pushed forward, are now engaged in suicide. Yes. In insanity. 100% there. And, 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 and why would the rest of the world follow it? It's right. simple as that. The question to ask is, what has happened to the collective West? What has happened to the people in the collective West? What has happened to the people who are in the universities? Because you know, this, the po politics is not simply politician. Politics in a democratic society is the entire society. Well, so what has happened? The same thing it can be said for this civilization, Western civilization, is that we've reached a point that everybody takes everything they have for granted, that they take their freedoms for granted, they take our whole way of life, our, our whole civilization for granted. And they we've never had to fight for it, Salim, like, exactly. like America did when they first fought for their freedom. We, we've never had to fight for that. We've never had to fight for our way of life. And soon it's going to be up on our doorstep. And, and so this is, we're spoiled. We're spoiled rotten. We've taken everything for granted for decades. We've left it in the hands of people we thought had our best interest at heart, and they don't because they're either ignorant, moronic, or complicit. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. And so the irony, I, 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 again, something I've said in the past, the irony is that when the ideas of 1776 went to liberate the people of the global south from their colonial situation, their imperial situation. You know, now it is the global south 
that ironically will liberate the West if the West wants to be liberated. Right. And, and that is this the map that you put up a little while ago, the 80%. If you're going to trade with the world, if you're going to engage with the world, if you want the world to be a partner in whatever you do, then you have to abandon your wokeism. Yes. You have to abandon your stupid political culture that you have adopted on the basis of what? A man is a man. You know, sex is biologically determined. It is not something subjective that I, you wake up one morning and say, you know, I feel like a woman. You know, I am going to menstruate, right. you know, and, and, and if you're going to talk like this, you know, then the government is going to come and arrest you because you are now uh, undermining human rights. Because that's exactly what Justin Trudeau said to the Russians, that they're undermining human rights. And the Russian replied, you keep your human rights to yourself. For us, there is only two sex, man and a woman and a family and children. Mm. Now, if you are going to abandon the values and tradition which built the greatness of the Western world at one time in history, then nobody else is responsible. Yes. We are desperately trying to wake you up. But if you're going to keep voting for Mr. Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party and Mr. Jagmeet Singh and the NDP and the Khan Party, whoever is the leader, then you are responsible for your destruction. Nobody yes. else is. 100%. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And and you know what? In a lot of cases, when we're doing these town hall events, I, I say exactly that, that it is our responsibility. We've checked out of politics. We let it and, and abdicated our responsibility, again, to people what we thought had our best interest. And, and, and we haven't paid attention. We haven't held people accountable. We're still electing them, Salim. We're still putting them in Absolutely. power to destroy us. It's it's phenomenal. For t for three years, we have gone through that is the collective verse has gone through the trauma of lockdown, mass down, uh, and and vaccine mandate. Now, everybody who has some sense of self responsibility should know as as the documents are coming out as Elon Musk is unloading what. Mm. Twitter and social media was doing in censoring any contrary voice on the right. question of COVID-19 can see what has happened. You people who spoke out against vaccine mandate, against mask mandate, against lockdown, they were deplatformed, they were censored, their Twitter account was shut down, their Facebook accounts were shut down, you were shut down, I right. was shut down. Every time we showed up somewhere outdoors. Put in jail. Pastors put in jail. Put in jail. So you have, for instance, in the in the case of America, you know, Dr. Fauci and his group of people did what they did, um, and it has it has been the worst criminal act, you know, in in modern history. There should be a Nuremberg type trial, mm. so that this all can be brought out, not as a result of vengeance, even though vengeance at time is needed but to, to so that people know and that this sort of thing never happens again or at least we try to prevent it from happening again so you have had many people there's this man you possibly know him you know professor of epidemiology and doctor 
uh, at the medical school in Stanford University. Mm. He's of my background, Dr. J. Bhattacharya. He was one of the leading voices. He yes. was a, a member who who wrote the Barrington uh, uh, Declaration against against uh, all of this thing. He was deplatformed. He was targeted by by Twitter and taken out. And now you know all of that is coming out. So I'm saying that as again, we followed the big pharma. And here by 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 censoring blacklisting, deplatforming, uh, and creating the narrative that the media did at the behest of the government, because all the government, there was no conservative party member that was standing up against Justin Trudeau's lockdown oh, and so on. No, they were signing the checks. Here, go ahead. Exactly. So, so here we had this vaccine mandate going on to flatten COVID-19 in two weeks. That was what the original statement was. But in a poor country, I just again take an example out of India. After all, it is it is a poor country, 1.4, 1.5 billion people. COVID, you know, was a devastating thing. But then Indian governments, both at the federal level and at the provincial level, stopped following the WHO and yeah. went back to its own way to deal with the problem. And right. one province, India has 26 provinces, one province, the province of Uttar Pradesh, which is the main province in the heartland of India, population over 300 million people. That is a size, a size of a province is the size of the United States of America. It went, it brought down COVID-19 to zero through hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And that information was denied to the Canadian people. It was denied to the American people, you know, forcefully. So a poor country, and it was not only India, it was other countries in Africa, in Asia, that followed what, you know, came out of India, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and it zeroed out the problem of, of, of COVID-19, you, you know. So there is a thing. And, and, and so it is not imagination. If, if liberation is going to come to the West, back to being what it would be and have been, then it would come from places like India, China, Russia, and so on. Russia is no longer a communist country, for heaven's sake. This is what is the narrative that uh, Putin is a tyrant uh, if I have any difficulty with Maxime's speech, it was a depiction of Putin, but that is besides the point. It, Putin is engaged in bringing Russia, that is former Soviet Union, out of a totalitarian system that lasted for nearly 100 years into a representative, constitutionally run government. Mm. It takes time. The, yes. what, what, what people talk about Putin's tyranny is that leftover of the communist period. Mm. Putin has a support of the Russian people. What we now know is in the upper 80%. He is a practicing Christian. The mm. church has been reestablished. The, yes. the patriarch of Moscow is in Moscow. It is Zelensky that has banned and made illegal 
the Orthodox Church in Ukraine. And he's been given the Person of the Year Award by Time Magazine. He's the one who is being backed up by the collective West. And the people in the global South can now see through that, that if there is communism and fascism, it is in the West. It is not over there. Yes, 100%. And it's interesting too, Salim, just on that, to, to see how they have, through their propaganda, through their indoctrination of our children through the school system, that we used to be, Western civilization used to be the place that defended and cherished human life. We're at a place now in the West where we don't cherish human life like we used to. We, it, we're, we're dismissing human life. We're allowing 60 million babies to be killed every year. We're allowing elderly at the end of days to be euthanized. We're allowing mental uh, illness to dictate euthanasia. We're allowing poverty to dictate euthanasia. We're allowing the transgender movement to encourage and groom our children not to have a nuclear family or have children. We're, we're, we're buying into all of this. And you can see it, the rot that, that's, that's happening. And, and so, you know, you're, you're perfectly right when you said a number of years ago that politics is, is downstream from culture <clears throat> because it's our culture that's been under attack and that we've allowed really to, to, to have it rot through uh, everything, uh, all of this stuff. And, and so sunny ways, as, as Ed Moe says. Uh, well, well, when sunny ways was the language of our great prime minister, uh, Wilfred uh, Laurier, Mm. Not the sunny ways of this uh, moron uh, Justin Trudeau, but he right. pi he picks up words, you know, for which he has no uh, association, or no respect, you know, right. uh, and he uses them for his own agenda of lies and and the demolishment of Canada, just as yeah. Biden is doing in America. It began with Obama. It began with Bill Clinton. I mean, the whole issue of this war began with Bill Clinton. The, the solemn promises that were made and agreed upon by the Western leaders, the leaders of the collective West with Gorbachev and Boris Yeltsin, that there will be no eastward expansion right. of NATO beyond right. Germany began to be violated right. by Bill Clinton and his administration, you know. That's right, uh, uh, and 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 uh, Maxime Trudeau uh, uh, quoted George Kennan, the father of containment policy, the man who spent his life trying to teach Americans about Soviet empire, about Soviet politics, but more importantly about Russian people and Russian history and Russian culture. He was an ambassador to Moscow. He was the head of the policy planning division in the State Department. We are going back to the time of President Franklin Roosevelt and President Truman, you know. So this is the man who, watching what was happening, said, my God, you people don't want to understand that the people of Russia 
has done the biggest revolution in world history and it was a bloodless revolution to bring down the soviet union yes. and you are accusing them that they are going to attack the uh, europe mm. you see and 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 we are still accusing them now and we have we have in, we have engaged in deep platforming russia in 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 smearing and vilifying russia and isn't mr maxim bernier so right so right when people say well you know there are 1.4 million ukrainian canadian and we are supporting them well what about the numbers of russian canadians who are here right what about yeah. exactly and what about the other 38.5 million people yeah yeah but exactly but on testing it that the what the 1.4 million canadian of ukrainian descent we are right. supporting and therefore we are going to turn our back upon <laughs> canadians of russian origin when you were in uh, a, a couple of months ago time flies but when you were in um Woodstock, and I came to uh, attend your town hall there. I was sitting with in the front with 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 you and the panel speaking. And after that, as the audience came together, you know, and people started mingling together, and I was standing there, and you were meeting people. There were about at least half a dozen people in that audience who came up to me and embraced me and shook my hand and for whatever reason thanked me and mm. all of them were Russian origin they were Canadians of Russian background mm. because they could not say they could not speak given the hysteria the hysteria of disinformation misinformation and lies that is circulating against people of Russian origin, just as what happened after 9-11 about Muslims and Islam. It was a manufactured argument. I mean, yeah. this is the country, we're talking about the United States, the superpower mm -hmm. that with the technology that they have and that has now developed even further to surveil each one of us of what we are doing, you know, and to say that 19 people got inside, you know, four or five bo uh, big body Boeings without being checked, without anything, and they flew these planes into a building and got away with it. There are hundreds and hundreds of questions that have and, come and up. They're finding their passports on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so we can now see. Mm. That what Eisenhower talked about in his last speech of the military-industrial complex was simply the tip of the iceberg that Eisenhower mentioned. It is the West that over the last 60 years has become the most vulgar rogue state that is the United States of America. It is no longer the United States of America. It is a rogue state of America. And America needs liberation. As Jefferson said, the second, the third president of the United States said, the author of the Declaration of Independence said, that every 20 years, patriots should rise and with their blood, you know, reinvigorate the revolution.
the failure of the patriots to rise and defend their democracy, their freedom, has meant that America is no longer the United States of America. The news that has come out recently, we need to devote time and come back and discuss these things. Tucker Carlson was confirmed. And of course, that has been hidden away. It's only in Tucker Carlson. The confirmation that the CIA murdered John Fitzgerald Kennedy, yes. that the, the president in 1963. Many of us came to that conclusion in different points of our life as we studied the subject. This is the biggest story that has remained hidden. So now the question is so simple. Why should anybody disbelieve that the CIA killed President Kennedy when it is the same government of the CIA that launched COVID-19, lockdown, vaccine mandate, and, and, and so on, and, and have done to destroy their own people, not only in America, but in the collective West. And there are many more, uh, the stealing of the election, the 2020 election. You and I remember we're sitting and talking about the election on the night of the election when, when everything went silent. Yeah. And now we know. As, yes. and, and yet none of the institutions of the government, we're talking about the United States, is willing to open and investigate what needs to be investigated. Yes. What happened on, 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 on that day in, in, in November 2020? What happened in the midterm election? So this is, the, this is what has happened. So it is all projection that Putin is bad, that the global south is bad, that this China is bad. Yeah, we are not, as, 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 as Maxim Bernier said, the, the policies and the politics of Mr. Putin is not mine. The right. politics of, of China, of President Xi Jinping is not mine, it's not ours. Our politics, our values are the values of 1867. The values of Americans are the values of 1776. But it is us with the values of 1867 and 1776. Our leaders are trying to now adopt it the China way. You and I did not adopt the China way. It is Mr. Trudeau who talks about how admirable is the China way, the dictatorship that can turn policies on a dime. It is not Mr. Bernier talking about that. And it is not the conservative party leaders questioning Trudeau about that because they want to do the same. Mm. 100%, Salim. Absolutely, 100% bang on. So we're at an hour 40. Yeah. Uh, I think for tonight, we'll probably call it call yep. it a night but a fantastic discussion Salim. very uh very necessary and uh if it has to be us to continue talking about it and maxine bernie i'm glad that he made the statement that he did uh it's incredibly important for us to do that <coughs> as a party and and as as a leader of the party it's important that max does it and so i'm very happy that he did and uh you know it's up to us to keep carrying it on and, and keep informing people as to what's going on. So thank you very much, Salim. Much appreciated. Very good discussion tonight. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for what you do. And tonight I, I feel really proud to be, as, as I said in the opening remark, very proud to be a member of the PPC uh, and to have Maxime as our leader and a mm -hmm. friend. Thank you so much. You yeah, know, it, it made a day. Okay, I'm, my uh, friend. 
I'm going to ask, once I get my Facebook back, <laughs> I'm going to ask Max to join us and uh, he'll come on and we'll have a chat about this, this whole thing. Absolutely. That would be wonderful. Okay. Yes. All right. God bless friend. you. See you next week. God bless you. Thank you. Yes, and you too. All right. Another round with uh, with our very good friend and national treasure, Salim Mansour. Um, another fantastic discussion. Uh, for those of you out there, <coughs> of course, this will be posted on Rumble and Odyssey, um, as well as podcasts, both on um, Podbean, which then also sends it out to a number of other affiliates, and Apple Podcasts as well. So, you know, if you're sitting around or you're traveling and you want to listen to some of our discussions, by all means, follow us on uh, on those podcast platforms, Podbean and, and Apple. Uh, there also is a number of others. I think we're on iHeartRadio and a number of others as well. So sometimes it's easier to plug us in uh, if you're traveling or on the road or whatever uh, to a podcast. Anyways, um, thanks, folks. I appreciate you... Uh, sharing this out i appreciate you being part of the part of the uh the mix the the army that it's going to take to take our country back from from the insanity um and thanks to tiktok we've had uh just about three thousand likes on this live stream so that's pretty good i think if i read that right maybe i better put my glasses on yeah 2.6 thousand likes on this live stream on TikTok, so that's good. Uh, thanks, TikTok. Thanks, guys. Uh, next time you see me live, make sure you share it out there so everybody can come aboard. All right, so that's going to be a wrap. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And I'm going to pop over and see how the uh, how the uh, ungovernor ungovernable bowl ungovernable bowl. <laughs> is doing i'm hoping they raised a shit ton of money for uh, jeremy mckenzie's legal woes um hopefully it's gone well i took part in that earlier this afternoon for an hour uh and it was a, another good discussion so anyways thanks guys appreciate it take care and we'll uh, we'll see you next weekend or next friday at least uh, with another round with salim that's providing i'm i think i'm going to be alive a few times <laughs> This coming week, I think tomorrow night, I'm going to be having on Rob Boudelier. Uh Rob actually sent me uh, some swag of his gear there that he's got. Um, that FC means fuck communists. <laughs> uh, Freedom Origins. Very good. He sent me a bunny hug and a t-shirt as well. So thanks, Rob. Much appreciated. So we're going to have Rob on tomorrow night. Uh, I think that's how it's going to work. And then Monday night, I'm going to have the president of the Buffalo party, um, uh, Chris Carley. He's going to come in and join us. We're going to talk a little bit provincial politics and uh, where the Buffalo party's headed and, uh, and some things that have been going on in the province politically. So stay tuned for those. And then whatever happens the rest of the week until Salim joins us next Monday. Um, that's going to be a wrap. Thanks guys. Um, 
remember, oh, what's going on? Hang on. Uh, globalism, bad. Nationalism, good. And uh, I'm just going to close things out. So that's a wrap. Ciao for now. See you next time. See you tomorrow night. Love each and every one of you. Wow.